She's appeared on Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, CNBC, and Oprah's Radio Network. She's the no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is, business explosion goddess who helps entrepreneurs monetize their expertise, funnelize their sales, and celebritize their brands. Fasten your seatbelts. It's time to ride with the always-hyped host of Big Time Business, Fran Harris. I want you to hear this. All progress happens outside your comfort zone. Let me repeat that. All progress happens outside your comfort zone. You will never grow, expand, or get better until you are stretched. Period. Point blank. Turn the page. Next chapter. If a winning mindset profitable business and a healthy balance in your bank account is what you seek, then I want to welcome you to the Fran Harris Show. Yep, we talk about life, spirituality, business, and money. And we also take your calls at 877-825-5882. 877-825-5882. If this is your first time listening to the Fran Harris Show, let me give you the 25 cents quick tour on how this show came to be. So started my first business when I was nine years old. Grew up in Dallas. Shout out to D-Town. Grew up in Dallas and wanted to sing in the choir. Now, some of y'all out there, if you got kids, you understand that kids want to do different things every week. For me, it was ballet one week, softball another week. I was doing an MLM the third week (laughs) in my fourth grade and just had all kinds of things I wanted to do. And my mother said, listen, so now you want to sing in the choir. You want to sing in the choir at church. All of a sudden, you love Jesus. And I said, yes, I do. And I do want to sing in the choir. But there was just one issue. The robe was $75. And I did not have $75 in 1974. So I said to my mom, listen, let's make a deal here. If if you will just help me. My mother said, nope, not helping you with this. You got to figure out how to get the money yourself. And I said, you know what? I thought, I said, my mother is so mean. She won't even give me money for Jesus. That was the mother I had. The mama that is so mean, you ain't even getting money for Jesus. So my mother said, I'll tell you what, you figure out how to do this. You're my little genius. You can figure it out. I'll help you. I'll support you in your efforts to get a robe for Jesus, but I will not give you $75. So I went to my room and I had the the usual pouting period. And I came back and I said, listen, we can do snow cones. That's what we can do. So cookies, people were selling cookies in my neighborhood. They were selling crack in my neighborhood. I I knew I couldn't get into the crack game that early. They were selling lemonade. And I said, listen, all of that is so 1970. We're in 1974, 75. We got to come with it, mama. We got to come with it. So I said, let's sell snow cones. Jay, I said, let's sell snow cones. I bet it was good. It was real good. 25 cents for one flavor, 50 cents for two flavors. You get, you know how this goes. I was doing the upsell, the cross-sell, the want some fries with that shake. I was doing that back in the day. I was the originator of the upsell and the cross-sell. McDonald's ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I get the snow cone stand, and we're selling it. We go, okay, so what do I need for the snow cone stand? I need ice. I need flavors. I need a cooler. Everybody had that Coleman cooler in their backyard, in their garage or something like that. So we got the ice, the cups. And then all we needed was a little marketing. So we decided to just set it up in the garage, 
People would knock on the door, and then we would go. So I went to the neighborhood, passed out some flyers, you know. Don't worry about trying to buy cookies. Don't try to buy lemonade. We got the real deal over here at Grinnell Street. We got the snow cones. And literally, Jay, I know people find this hard to believe, but that summer between May and September going back to school as a fifth grader, we generated, you ready for this number? Give it to me. $1,500 in snow cone revenues. In 1974. In 1974. So that's like $3,000. In today's world, that's $30,000 right there of snow cones. That's how I got started, seriously, as an entrepreneur. And it started with rejection from my mother and a mother who understood that if she gave me the money that week, I was going to be back the next week asking for something else. And she helped me to tap into my own abilities, my own ingenuity to get what I wanted. So that's how that's really was the beginning of this show, because that's when I became an entrepreneur at age nine. And it just it just took off from there, went to play basketball earned a scholarship at the University of Texas, hook them out there to my Longhorns. And when I really started to understand that you never really had to work for someone was when I was in college. And the NCAA had these crazy rules that college athletes could not be paid for. They couldn't work. So I couldn't work. I mean, I didn't come from a rich family at all. Clearly, I didn't. We were selling snow cones out of my garage when I was nine years old. But I went to speak at Dell Computers. And I went to speak at a a CEO, kind of a roundtable, and they couldn't pay me because it was against NCAA rules. They wanted me to come and talk about how to win championships, how to be a uh, have great character, those kinds of things. Everything I'd learned in playing basketball, I was 19 years old speaking in Dell Computers about what it takes to win championship teams. So when it was over, I went to the CEO who had invited me to the to the roundtable. I said, I know you can't pay me because of NCAA rules, but if you could have paid me today. What would you have paid me today? And they said, about $10,000. Tempor- I'm going to just say, whoa, on that one. <laughs> I'm going to just let that lay there. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. $10,000. I felt like I felt like Julia Robertson, pretty woman, when she when Richard Gere gave her that money. She was like, $3,000. Like, that's how I felt. I said, Tenth, to just talk about what I know? You're going to pay me, you would pay me $10,000 just to talk about what I know? And they said, well, actually, it wouldn't be to talk about what you know. It was to be to talk about the results you got and how you got them. And that was a shift. That was the first shift because a lot of people think that you go and you speak and you speak to inspire and you do that. And those are, that's what you call motivational speakers. But what I was hearing was that I had the opportunity to make a living as a transformational speaker where I would come in and share whatever had happened in my life, skills, things that I had developed and what, how they could help people transform their lives and businesses. So at that point, I realized that I might have been on to something. And so I started to really have this sense for wanting to create my own company. I was 19 years old. So I go, I'm do the athlete thing, graduate, got into grad school at UT, figured out real quickly that I did not want to be a coach because I was not going to let 16-year-olds run my life. And uh, so coaching was out there. I was a grad assistant at UT for a while. And then I got a real good opportunity to do TV at Texas. Back in the day, long time ago, they had these things called um, cable access channels. Jay, you remember that? 
You yeah, that's them things like they came on the lower channels of cable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. They were like channel 14 and like they had the plant in the background. Yeah. So Texas started having a package of games on the cable access channel. Was it they, was it picture grainy? It was very grainy. It was very grainy. You had to make sure that you knew who that you had to tell people. Now, that really is me. That really is me. It won't look like me tonight on on the game, but that is me. But they had a package, and they asked me if I wanted to do it as a color analyst. And I said, sure. Didn't really know what that meant, but I figured if I could talk about if I could play basketball, I could probably talk about basketball. And I got on there, and ESPN, as you all might remember, you know, ESPN, this is the late 80s. ESPN was um, about a decade into being ESPN, and so there weren't a lot of women who were doing games on ESPN. So I got the idea that I was going to send in my tape to ESPN when they started doing women's basketball. Back then, also a long time ago, there would be one game on television, and it would be the national championship game. It was like on CBS or something like that. And literally, you never saw women's basketball on TV until Easter Sunday, until like the end of March or Easter Sunday. But ESPN started to do packages of women, and so I said, well, you know what? I I think I know what I'm talking about. How about I just call in? Uh, ESPN and get them to uh, take a look at my tape. So I sent Jay one of my cable access tapes because there were no links back then. There were no uploads. There were no uh, flash drives. It was a tape. It was a big old VHS tape that I sent to ESPN. Mm. And um, they said, no, thank you. <laughs> they, they was they was wrong. <laughs> they was so wrong. They said, we, you know, they sent me this, the standard rejection letter. Um, we see something, but not yet. So I, I took that lesson. I had gotten the rejection with my mother very early in my life. I got the rejection from ESPN, and I said, but I'm going to keep trying. So I sent them another less bad tape about a year or so later, and they said, hmm, we might have something here. And that is literally how I started my broadcasting career. I sent a bad tape to ESPN because I felt like I had something. I got some good somewhere. There's something. There's a jewel of something in there. And if I could just get better, if I could just be courageous enough to be bad on the air, maybe one day I could be good on the air. And that's literally how my broadcasting career started. Literally. Yeah, that was it, Jay. I can see you over there tearing up. I, mean, <laughs> I know it's touching. <laughs> well, it's it's impressive, though. I, I got to give you credit. It's a, it's quite the journey. And uh, it's that that age old. You think about Denzel fall forward. Yes. You, know, you get rejected. You just keep on pushing. You just keep on pushing. And that is what I did. So fast forward many years later, I am still in the ESPN family of networks calling games of the color analysts. And then about eight years ago, moved into play by play as well. So it's been a great journey. But I tell I share those things with you guys, because all of that is entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is nothing more. But what Jay said is falling down, getting back up. You know, not being so low that you can't look up. It's literally just innovating, um, having the, the 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 ingenuity to start a business, follow through on a business, solving a problem. That's what this show is about. It is about um, tapping into the genius of everybody under the sound of my voice, understanding that maybe you won't build the next Amazon. You may not build the next ESPN or Hulu or Uber, but there is something that you can do that can literally change lives, even if it's just your community, in your school, in your home. There are things that you can have. Maybe you won't build the next billion-dollar juggernaut, but you can turn your passion into income. You are listening to The Fran Harris Show. Uh, Call number is 877-825-5882. We talk all things life, mindset, money, business, 
and uh, yeah, and anything in between. So I'm kind of looking at a stack of books right now. Jay, you didn't know that I've written all these books. And I bring these books in. There's a couple of my books right there. Uh, a couple of books on finance, business. Got another set of books on the WNBA. Can't let y'all read that. Some good stuff in there. <laughs> Celebrity Playbook, Bet on Black, Hollywood. And the reason I share that is because everybody under the sound of my voice should have a book. Everybody should write a book. It doesn't have to be War and Peace. It doesn't have to be the Bible. It doesn't have to be Michelle Obama's Becoming. It just needs to be something that you can share that can show off your expertise. Maybe it's showing off your your life story. Maybe it's showing off some talents or some gifts or some expertise or experience you have. Books are bags of money. Books are bags of money. And I'll give you the illustration of how this works. Now, Sometimes people will call you and ask you to come and speak. Everybody talks about wanting to be a speaker. They want to be a coach. They want to be a consultant. And I go, well, do you have a book? And they go, well, no, I don't have a book. And I go, you need to understand that books give you credibility. If you have a book, I don't care if you don't know nothing about nothing. People will think you know everything about something because you have taken the step of putting it into a book. It is the ultimate authority builder. If you do nothing else from listening to The Fran Harris Show, Make sure you start writing your book, changing lives day in and day out. Write a book. Give people the opportunity to understand that you're an influencer, that you're a thought leader, that you have authority on your topic and watch how your life changes. So you're listening to the Fran Harris show. Again, we're all about money, business, finance, life. And we're actually going to take some calls here. I don't know how long I've been talking, Jay, but, you know, I can go. And there's, I don't know if there's been a period in sight since I got on air. Well, you know what? I'm used to doing shows where. Whether callers show up or not, I'm equipped to continue going. And I want to talk a little bit about the world we live in and how everybody who is anybody with access to the Internet, you got Wi-Fi access and a computer. Everybody, Jay, thinks they have something to say. That's the great thing about the world we live in is like anybody with fingers and Wi-Fi can have something to say. That's also the bad thing about the world we live in. Anybody with fingers and Wi-Fi and access to the Internet can actually have something to say. Don't press in. <laughs> That's right. Don't do it. I mean, it's a great world we live in, and especially when we start talking about entrepreneurship. And I have to say, 40 years ago, maybe some of y'all listening to me right now might not have been able to start a six or seven figure business. Maybe. And I just say that maybe. But now in 2019, because of the Internet, because of the world we live in, we got folks who um, have not graduated from college. Again, no shade, but the reality is the barriers that used to be up for folks who wanted to start businesses, those things don't exist anymore. So when I hear folks, I go out and speak, Jay, and they, they're like, I want to do what you do. I want to speak. I want to start my own company. And I go, well, what's in your way? Nothing is in your way in 2019. Now, if we were having to put me in a time machine, if we go back 30 years, then I'd go, well, here's what you need to do, and then you need to do this. Now, fire up your computer and just start giving advice. I mean, that's the world that we live in today. So I live in a no excuses, no limit world. I always have. But today, more than anything, folks who thought that they couldn't because they were black or brown or red, white, red, white and blue or because they'd been incarcerated or because they were um, Catholic or because they came from New Hampshire. None of those things matter. None of those things matter. You live in a world where it is truly possible, whatever you want to create. And I know that's music to some folks, new, uh, some folks' ears because maybe you feel like you belong in a disenfranchised group of people, whatever that is for you, whatever you might call that. Again, movements are being started every day online. People are changing their lives, lives economically, financially, simply because of their access to the Internet. 
So if you really want to make dough for what you know, this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. Let's take a break right here. You listen to the Fran Harris Show. We'll come back and take some calls in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Did you know that one of the fastest ways to explode your business is through the power of media appearances? Yes, you on radio, on television, on podcast. One of the fastest ways to grow your business. My new book, Celebrity Playbook, shows experts and entrepreneurs how they can leverage the power of television, radio, and media appearances to explode their brands and their businesses in less time than you think. Go ahead and grab a copy at CelebrityPlaybook.com. Get your copy of Celebrity Playbook at CelebrityPlaybook.com. Here's today's show. Well-behaved women rarely make history. You listen to the Fran Harris Show where we talk about life, mindset, money, financing, if not necessarily financing, finances. We're not financing anything. We're not putting anything on your mama's bills. We're not doing none of that. But if you want to know how to have a better life, a bigger life, a bigger business, and a healthy bank account, you are in the right place at the Fran Harris Show. Let's go ahead and take some calls. Jay, who's on the line? Hi, my name is Alonzo. All right, Alonzo, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show. What is your question? My question is, how do I take my passion and turn it into a viable business? Great question. Thanks for the call, Alonzo. How do I take my passion and turn it into a viable, viable business? That is what that question is so great based on what we just talked about in the previous segment about how there's never been a better time to start a business, to be an entrepreneur than the ones that we're living in right now. Never been a better time. So I'm going to walk through kind of the process. If you're listening out there and you thought, you know what, I might want to start a, a food truck or I might want to start my own detail business. Or I want to start a software company. How do you take the passion or the know-how that you have and then turn that into a viable, because that's a key word that Alonzo said, a viable business. Everybody's seen folks in their family start businesses that come and go, but we're talking about sustainability. So how you do that? Number one, I do an exercise with my clients called the pie exercise. It's basically looking at the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're interested in, and the things that you have expertise in. Now, Alonzo has asked specifically about passion. Here's the thing about passion. It's good. There's a plus and a minus to passion because a lot of people think that all you need is passion to create a business. And that's not true. What you need is to be able to turn that passion into something that solves a problem for folks who have a problem. Let me give you an example. What is the passion? What is passion is not going to do a whole lot for you. But if you can find a group of people who have a problem, for instance, there are people like me who don't like going to the grocery store, Jay. I don't like going to the grocery store. So the <laughs> the problem I have is that I don't want to get off my couch to go to the grocery store. So somebody create a business that literally does shopping for you. Now that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. They literally, you go online, you go, here's what I need. This is what I need. Three gallons of milk. I need cheese. I need macaroni, whatever. You never have to leave your house. Now, that's turning a passion into a business. There's There are people also who will literally take anything you don't want to do or any problem that you have trouble, sol- trouble solving and turn that into a business. That's just one example. So, Alonzo, that's kind of how you do that. You you got to make sure there's an audience out there, a hungry audience out there, because if, the, if you don't have an audience, if you don't have folks who need that problem solved, you don't have a business. And that's some hard, that's some hard lessons that we've learned is that you think – Your excitement and your passion is enough to start a business, and it never is. It really starts with you identifying 
who the audience is, what their problem is, and how eager they are to have that problem solved. And that, that part is really important, too, because if you got folks who the problem is not keeping them up at night, if they don't want that problem solved to a great degree, then they're never going to spend money on it. All right. So, Alonzo, thank you very much for the call. Great question. How do I turn my passion into a viable business? Good one. So I did have a couple of folks when I was walking in saying, oh, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? I'm doing a show on business. Oh, I got I want to start this business. I got this business. I want been wanting to start. See that, hear that all the time. And the other thing that people will ask is, OK, so I see you doing on TV. I see you calling games on TV. I bet I could do that. Really? You think you could do that? Okay. (laughs) It's not as easy as it looks. That's something that a lot of entrepreneurs will say, Jay. They'll say, well, I saw the so-and-so person doing this over there. I mean, it can't be that hard. Like, Jay, you should never run this board. That cannot, that cannot be that hard, right? Don't get it twisted. (laughs) Some buttons over here got to be pushed. Just letting you know. So the misnomer that business is not hard is one that I get a lot. I get that question, like, how hard is it going to be, you know, when I when I try to start my business? Can I do this? And I'm like, it's hard. It's hard if you are not willing to work at it. And my thing is not just a matter of the number of hours that you're willing to put into your business, but the quality of those hours. Uh, a lot of folks will say, I work really hard. And I'm like, but are you working smart? Are you doing the things that are necessary to move you to your next level? Let me give you an example of that. If I I go back to the example I said, you need to write a book. If you want to write a book, you need to break down the task of writing a book into chunks, doable chunks that you can do over the course of the time before you publish that book. So you need the, the title of the book. You need to actually write or record the book and have it transcribed. You need to find a publisher, right? But most people, Jay, will talk about writing their book for 30 years. Mm. I've been writing the same book for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been trying to write, get this book done. You know, I've been thinking about writing this book for 30 years. Well, stop thinking about writing the book and start writing the dang book. All right, let's take another call. You're on the Fran Harris Show. Who's calling? Hi, friend. Max Devereaux. Max Devereaux. Where are you calling in from, Max? Of Lynn, California. California. What's your question? At what point should you create a cash flow management management strategy in your business? All right, great question, Max. Uh, The question is, at what point should you create a cash flow management system? And Max hit a nerve for me because I was talking to one of my brothers today, and he just came off of a weekend of a successful event. And he was talking, I said, well, how did you do? What was the money? What did you do? And it was like, well, I think I did this, and I think I did this. What? You think? You need a cash flow statement in place. You need to know how many widgets you sold, how many people showed up for the event. So, Max, the answer to that question is, as soon as you think you want to start a business, Business is when you start, should start putting your finances together. Your financials have to be together. And it is that area. It's, it's one of those areas that, Jay, people really avoid. They avoid looking at the numbers, right? Are you scared of numbers, Jay? Yeah, because I just like hope it'll work itself out. <laughs> right, right. That's what most people are just, they're like, I don't know if what I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know that I want to look at the numbers. It'll, it'll all work out. And it never does. You cannot be afraid to face the numbers. And honestly, y'all, a cash flow statement is nothing more than a list of what stuff costs, right? What stuff costs, how much you're going to, and then if you do something, if you run your business, 
what you brought in. So it's kind of like what you brought in minus what stuff costs. That's a very simple way of putting it in terms of a cash flow statement. So you don't have to be afraid of those numbers, but you do need to face those numbers. And the earlier you do that, the more equipped you will be to um, to running your business. And I know, I get it. I get folks who, who are afraid of taking a look at their credit card statements. They never look at their bank statements or whatever, but numbers are the juice that businesses run on. Max, thanks for the question. Thank you. Jay, what about you? Uh, what numbers are you afraid to look at? The one that has the uh, you owe in front of <laughs> <laughs> You owe this much money this month. The bill is, or this is, wait, wait, hold on. The number that's behind, past due. <laughs> that's, the, that's the number that, that I don't like to see. Listen, yeah. those are some scary numbers. I can tell you this, Jay. I've had $35.18 in my bank account. And being broke uh, is no fun. And I can tell you this, undeniably, being rich is way better than being broke. Can't be afraid to look at those numbers. Yeah, but you know, I'm glad you said that because people, everybody wants to be rich. You yeah. know, everybody wants to. That's why the show is so important. They want they they want to find that path. Yes. You know, and for most of us, it's just that question about, you know, well, what are we willing to do? You know, kind of like what you've been saying, but. Man, I, I guess, you know, to spin it back at you, how did you really start to accumulate wealth? I think that's another question that people probably have, too. Right? That is a great question. And I'm glad you asked that because it gives me an opportunity to share some things, especially for for African-Americans. Like we realize we, we got a 400. We're behind 400 years. Right. But there's no reason that we can't play the catch-up game at a real high level here in this country. But I grew up with mom and dad in the house. I got four brothers and sisters, uh, you know, a lot of kids to feed. And I remember uh, growing up, and we, when I was born, we were living in the projects, Jay. And by the time I was three, my mom told my dad, we can do better. She said, we can do better. And dad liked the $16 more, you know, he liked $16 apartment rent, right? He was like, we, we, we went in here. You got $16 on the, on the rent. We got groceries. We got food to eat. We got healthy kids. Like, why are you complaining? And mom said, we can do better. Hope you're enjoying today's show. Here's a quick word from one of our advertisers. We'll be back in a moment. Have you ever thought about creating or selling your own high ticket program, product, event, or service? Well, I've just released a brand new training that shows you how to give yourself a six or seven figure raise by simply adding one high ticket offer to your new or existing business. You can register for this free training at highticketwebinar.com. Check it out. It's at highticketwebinar.com. So my mother literally started driving over to where my dad still lives to this day, looking for houses for our family. And my dad, he fought, he resisted, he did, because he liked the easy route. It was cushy. And so mom said, you're right. Everything you're saying is right. We got money. We got kids who are healthy. We're eating every night. We're not behind in our bills, but we can do better. So eventually my dad relented and they, you know, they were truly partners early in their relationship and they came together and they said, okay, we're moving. So we were like one of the first folks in our family on either side of our family, my mom's sisters and brothers and my dad's sisters and brothers who actually bought a house and, and my dad obviously owns it now. 
But that's how it started, Jay, to your question. It started with my mom saying we can do better. And that's a, that's the, the challenge for everybody listening right now. You can do better. It doesn't it doesn't have to be saving three hundred thousand dollars by next week or even saving a thousand dollars by the end of the month. But whatever you're doing right now, I guarantee you, you can do better. And the first thing you have to do is to look at those numbers and to understand Every week, what's going out of your house and what's coming into your house. So, Fran, you, it's a great story. Your mom had the belief. But I think that's the challenge, like you said, for, for African-Americans at times. When you're looking at your circumstances, yes. you know, how do you how do you maintain that belief or, or that 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 you can make it out? Because, you know, you see guys, you had an athletic scholarship. You yep. see people that get out. But what about the folks that, you know, that may not be as readily available? You're not born with that God given talent. Yep. How do you how do you change your mindset? You know, that that you 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 believe you can do better, like your mom said. Yep. You you got to surround yourself with people who are doing better. And that is it. My mom used to my mom used to say uh, she would say this to her kids all the time. Watch your crowd. And you would get so annoyed. I was so annoyed with my mother saying, watch your crowd. Watch who you hang out with. Uh, And so she didn't put it into today's guru language of you become the people you hang out with. But she says, I got sense enough to know that if the people you hanging out with are not going places, then there's a very good chance that you won't go anywhere either. Let's take the next call. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I run a sports event business. Mm -hmm. How do I expand it? Chris, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Dallas, Texas. Cool. Thanks for the call. Chris says he has a sports event business. How does he expand it? Great question, especially what you just said, Jay. Uh, my background, really, my start got start got on point because I was an athlete, because I got that full ride, because I got a chance to see the world because I was a basketball, an elite basketball player. And Chris's question is running a sports event um, company, how do I expand it? And the thing that I, I didn't ask Chris this, but my venture, I venture to say that like a lot of folks who start sports events companies, they are running them by themselves. Chris, is that the case for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Chris is, Chris is a one man wrecking crew. Basically <laughs> he's running his, his company and that's the challenge right there. So one of the biggest challenges that you have to think of right now, Chris, is how do you expand without taking on too much debt, right? Not, you're not trying to hire the world, but you're trying to figure out what incremental value will I get if I bring on, let's say an assistant to help me with my event so that I'm not trying to do everything. And it's taking me from the things that I'm really good at. That's the thing that most entrepreneurs really make the mistake at. They go, well, I'm running the company. I got to do everything. And therefore, if I hire somebody, that's cutting into my money. I've heard that so many times. But what you don't realize is that when you don't bring on help, that you actually suck yourself dry and you hamper your ability to make more money. If you just bring on, let's think about this, Chris. If you just brought on an assistant to handle registration, maybe concessions, maybe uh, getting testimonials after at the end of your event, you would save so much time and headache at your event because you're trying to do everything. You're training people, you're teaching people, you're saying hi to everybody, you're doing all that, but you don't have the capacity to be able to really take care of the people at your event. So the one thing I would say to you, Chris, right now is to really think about making a list of the things that happen at your event that you are currently doing, and then on the other side of that sheet of paper, maybe making a list of the things that you would gladly give up if you had some help and then think about hiring people on a contract basis to do those things. Great question. Thanks for the call. Thank you. You got it.
Jay, that happens a lot. A lot of folks, um, they want all the money, Jay. They, 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 they have that mentality of, listen, I got this thing humming. It's, it's working. I see this a lot with salon on owners where they're doing the washing and the curling and the relaxing and the cuts and the everything. They're doing everything and they don't have the capacity to do it and their bottom line suffers. So I love that question. All right. We are headed in the home stretch, but we still have questions on the Fran Harris show. Who's calling? Who's on the hey, line? This is Micah Nixon calling. Hello, Micah Nixon. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What is your question, Micah? So my question is, um, I'm starting out with my business, and I'm trying to figure out how to utilize social media to capture my audience. What is the best way that I can do that? All right, Mike, if I understood that question right, you're starting on your business and you want to leverage social media to grow your audience. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. All right, terrific question. And which do you have a social media um, platform in mind? Yes, um, it's, I want to do Facebook and Instagram in particular. All right, cool. Thanks for the call. So, Michael, the first thing I would say is that you need to pick one. What Micah said is exactly what most people say. They go, I want to do this and I want to do that. Pick one. Become the master of one thing, and you can always, always pick up and, and, and take on another social media platform. But if you become the woman who talks to her audience on Instagram and people are looking for you there and they're chiming in and they're engaging with you on Instagram, guess what? You will have no issue um, growing your audience on on Facebook, which, by the way, those are very two different social platforms. So the reason I also advise people to to actually pick one is so that they become the expert on that platform. They know the ins and outs of that platform. They become the thought leader on that platform and people will respond more readily to your messages because they know you know what you're talking about. But more importantly, people will just look for you there. They won't be trying to look for you on Twitter and Facebook and and Twitch and all these other places. They will look for you there. The other thing, Mike, I would say after you select one to master would be to be consistent. It is the most difficult thing for anybody on the planet to do. It is to be consistent. And I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. A lot of us, we do this at the beginning of the year. We're going to work out. We're going to yoga. We're going to Pilates. We're going to bar. We're going to work out. We're doing the marathon. We're doing all this stuff. <laughs> and we're not doing anything consistently, right? right? So to be consistent, right. give yourself the, the gift of consistency. And that just means maybe you just post every Monday. Maybe you post every Monday and Wednesday. Whatever it is, don't bite off too much, but do something and do it consistently. And here's the thing that will happen. If you are the person who is consistent, you will win the day. Trust me, you will win right. the day. The folks right now on social media who are winning are the people that people are tuning into because they know they're going to show up for them. Does that answer your question? Right. Yes, it does. All right, great. Thanks for the call. Good luck. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Jay, that's what it's about. It's about consistency. It's literally about folks doing what they say they are going to do. And I'm telling you, less than 10% of the population sticks to what they said they are going to do. And listen, we're going to be real, real on this show. I, a lot of my friends say I, I talk about the really, reallys, and I am right there with you. There are some things I am extremely consistent in daily. And I say, okay, what would happen if you took your daily prayer meditation to the business world, if you took your your consistency in this area of your life and applied it to your business, you would be amazing. And I'm saying that to y'all listening to me, my posse who's riding with me right now. If you will just become more consistent in your business, you will see amazing things. More consistent in your money, 
you'll see amazing things happen in your life. So we talked about everything happening that's going to be progressive in your life. All progress happens outside your comfort zone. You got to get uncomfortable, and that's what the Fran Harris Show is all about. We'll be back in a moment. All right, so today's guest has over 15 years as a sought-out community outreach professional, helping corporations build their brands through grassroots education and community engagement. She has a life, accident, and health license. She also has Series 6, 63, and 26 investment licenses. But what I love about our guest today is that she is a no-nonsense, get-your-money-straight professional. I also know that you're going to be educated and motivated to get your financial house in order after hearing Anita Maxwell. So Anita, there are folks who listen to my show who say, listen, I'm doing the best I can do right now with what I have. And now you're asking me to do better, to do more. What do you say to those folks? I will just say to those people that it's not about how much money you have, it's about what you do with the money. Mm -hmm. For example, I have some clients who make $300,000 a year, but they spend $300,001. Mm-hmm. So they're just as broke as you who makes 40000 or 30000 So the first thing I would tell that person to do is, first, let's stop and look where you are today. Most of us have no idea what we really spend and how much money comes through our hands. Mm-hmm. If we look at the time we've been working in our lives, a lot of money has come through our hands. Yeah. But those broken $20 add up. We've all had that situation where I had a 28. What happened to it? It's gone. <laughs> yeah. If you have some money in your pocket, something will show up that wants it. And so I will say your first step is, and we've heard this over and over again, but I can't tell you how many people don't follow this advice. You have to write it down. Mm -hmm. It's the same as when we're trying to eat better. If we don't see it, it's almost like it doesn't count. So the first thing I do with my clients is let me see where you are today. And I sit down and do a full analysis of what they are spending. And I tell you, every time I'm asking questions, what about this? What about this? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The little $5 here. Oh, yes. yes. We really have no idea what we're spending. So until you have a good grasp on that, it will always feel like money is slipping through your hands because you can't fix something that you can't see. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. You may be really tight in those areas but how do you know where to start if you don't how you how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you're starting so the first thing I always do is let's sit down and look at it and if we come to a situation where you know what you have the basic necessities in life you are the one person out of the millions of people in the United States who have no luxuries you have no cable you have no cell phones you have no cars you have one outfit that you wear seven days you have no jewelry you don't buy (laughs) shoes if you are that person then I will tell you you know what I'm wrong there is nothing that can be done for your finances but I have not met that person (laughs) what I usually meet is the person who doesn't want to scale back at the sacrificial level it may take for them to get ahead if they're on a lower income yeah 
Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there are possibilities, there are ways you can get in financially to really make your, your situation better. So why is it that people don't want to look at their numbers? They want to. They don't want to face the music with their finances. I always say that sharing your finances is like being naked. Most of us don't like to look at ourselves naked. We definitely don't want someone else to see us mm-hmm, naked, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us wear a social mask. Mm-hmm. We are great with looking the part. We have the nice houses, the nice cars. We know how to speak the language. But when you pull the covers back, the statistics are not lying on all of us. Yeah. We are not doing well with money as a country or as a world. Mm-hmm. But we probably are in a better position because we experience so many luxuries in the U.S. It's true. We're not doing as well as we could be doing. And so the it, it's ugly. It's an ugly conversation to say, I know what you see me looking like, mm-hmm. but I'm not where I look like I am. And that's a pride thing. I get it because we go to work and we work so hard and we want to provide for our families. I truly believe most people do that. But I also don't think that we want to be in that vulnerable state. And for those people who do decide, you know what, enough is enough, being broke, pride, all of that has got to go. My pride has to go beneath my desire to have have more. Mm -hmm. Then that person is able to embrace it a little bit more. It may be tough at first. But I also think that's why it's important to work with someone that you trust that you know has your best interest yeah. at heart and yeah. not just be a number. You know, we have to start changing the conversation around money. And I'll just give you a really quick example. I was talking to some prospective investors for one of my companies and they really wanted to be involved. And they were like, let me, you know, follow up with me mid-January. Let's really talk, blah, 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 blah. And when it got to mid-January, even later than January, what I found out is that they weren't in the financial position to actually do what they said they thought they could do. Now, I'm cool. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's just, that's how it is. That's the reality. But these individuals had such a difficult time saying what I just said to you, Anita, which was, I'm just not in a position to do that right now. They, they created these elaborate stories around why they were going to invest in something else as well. And then, you know, it's very exciting. But the reality is I've heard so many financial stories that I can pretty much sniff out, excuse me, I can pretty much sniff out a lie when when people are talking. Uh So I was like, Uh hmm, obviously you think I'm going to think something of you because you don't, you can't do this. So how do we change those, those dynamics? Because I see that at a very high level, even with very high level net worth individuals, all the way down to folks who are having trouble paying their car note. It's the same thing. We got, how do we change those, those dynamics? You're so right, Fran, and it has to start, I know we hear this a lot, but education, I believe, starts at home. Mm -hmm. That story reminds me of something I had today, and I said I was going to make a video about it. I received yet the one millionth message or phone call of a parent saying to me, oh my gosh, my daughter plays basketball. I think you would be a great mentor for her because you played in the WNBA. Mm Mm-hmm. And immediately, my mind said, wait a minute. Now, 
I help people with money mm-hmm. and I work in the financial industry and I have never received a phone call of someone saying, you know what, my daughter needs to spend more time with you <laughs> to learn better how to how to manage her finances <laughs> or not be in the position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So we've done a horrible job at almost deifying, uh, glamorizing certain positions. Yeah. And, and people fall prey to that. They feel like they need to fall in line with that. So the education has to start with us as parents, as villagers in the community that say to people that I get that it's cute what you see, but it's so much prettier when you're not worried about how you're going to pay your bills. Yeah, it is. Or when retirement really is that. Yeah. And not, I just stop working for a period of time until my money runs out and then I have to go back. <laughs> and so we've got to start having those real conversations because our kids are seeing us struggle. Yeah. But they're growing up thinking that's a part of it too, that it's only for certain people to have better means. So it does start with us and us being more authentic. Mm -hmm, Wow. All right. Last question. And that is, all right, folks are listening. They're, they're feeling a little vulnerable because we kind of go hard and we go in on some stuff on the finances. Give me three things that that profile that I mentioned at the beginning of our chat you know, I'm not making a lot of money. I'm making forty, forty-five thousand dollars. I got two teenage kids. We do, we are buying our house, so we're doing a couple things right. What are three things I can do to just put my family in a better financial situation? Just hard-hitting tactics that I can do to be better financially. Okay. All right. The first thing is get a coach. Mm -hmm. You will run faster with someone in the lane next to you. Mm -hmm. I know you're knowledgeable. I know you can go online and read. I know you've heard all these different people talk about it and you've seen and you've read a gazillion books on finances. There are a gazillion written. And if it was just about reading, we would all be wealthy. You need someone who is going to be there with you to show you application applied knowledge is power not just knowledge Mm -hmm. so that would be the first thing is get a coach the second thing is assess where you are let's write it down from today and be real with you because you're not going to be honest with the coach to help you if you're not real about where you are say today is the day that I will do better and I will face something. You cannot face what you will not fix. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot fix what you will not face. Right. And so that would be it. Let's write it down today. Start writing down everything you spend for the next week. If it comes out of your account, write it down. So mm-hmm. get real about that. And then make a decision of what your reason is. So many people just say, I want money or I need to save. You need to quantify it. What do you want? How much and why? You need to add some emotion to it Mm -hmm. because you need to, for example, I know, and this is a story I hear a lot. I watch my mother breaking her back, working in tough jobs, and she's not going to be prepared for retirement. She'll work until she dies. I need to have this amount of money coming in at this age because I don't want to see my loved one struggle like I did. Yeah. And so you have to emotionalize it. Just saying you want it without some mm-hmm. specifics is not going to be enough. That's a great start. No one can help you with your finances until you let your wall down and say, I'm ready to do something different. 
And so those are the things that have nothing to do with money, but they're often the biggest hurdles and the, they, they cover the biggest gap between you being where you are today and starting to put some things in place to change your finances over time. And I will, I will totally attest to the part of writing down your money. I'll share one thing before we jump off. I, many years ago, thought I really felt better when I had more money. I have several bank accounts, so several kinds of accounts. I thought I felt better when I had more money in the account that I was using for my household expenses. And what I realized is that I, w- I spent more money because I had more money in that account. I need y'all to hear me. I spent way more money because it was in there than I did when I didn't put all the money in that account. So that's like one of those small, very big ahas that if it's, if you got an account, you got $70,000 in that account, you are not spending the same way if you had $6,000 in that account. You're watching your stuff. You're writing, you're writing stuff down. So I had to change that about 15 years ago because I was like, where is this money going? And it hit me that because I was Mentally, I thought feeling better because I had a fat bank account. I was way overspending, way overspending because I had a fat bank account. So when I started writing stuff down, I was like, oh, can't do that. Cause I, cause I didn't have that much money in that account. I'm like, can't do that. Can't do that. Okay. I'm, right. I'm going to have to wait till right. the next pay period, the next job I do, because I'm not going to fatten that account again. It changed everything. So I'm a big believer in what Anita said about the write down factor. For sure. It's so true, friend. Often you may have to play games with yourself. Yes. And I do this with some clients. I say to them, let's move your money so that it's not accessible. Yes. There's no debit card and no bank that you can go drive up to. <laughs> and trust me, if it is not available, you will adjust. You will. <laughs> People are like, oh my gosh, I have no money. It's too tight. If it's not there, you'll find a way. Yep. And so I have clients who get used to not seeing it. And over time, they've built money and they get used to it. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't even miss it anymore. Yes. So it's amazing what we can deal with when we have to. Yes. Anita, where can people find you? Well, you can always visit our website at success and then dash the word fullliving.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anita underscore Maxwell or on our Facebook page at The Anita Maxwell. That's good stuff, Anita Maxwell. We'll be back with more of The Fran Harris Show in just a moment. How do leaders handle the mounting instances of poor, unprofessional, unproductive, and sometimes outright bullying behavior in the workplace? Bullyproof My Company addresses this incredible issue that's facing every company today in America and even internationally. If you're looking for ways to build a winning culture, a winning environment, a winning team, pick up a copy of Bullyproof My Company at bullyproofmycompany.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, we've got Louisa on the call with a question. Louisa, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from Dallas. Lots of folks calling in from Dallas today. What is your question? My question is, I'm about to start a new company and was wondering what are some of the mistakes startups have in the beginning? Louisa, you are the winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is the best question we've had today. Of course, I said that to everybody, so don't get it twisted. I mean, everybody's (laughs) question. (laughs) It is a great question. What are some of the mistakes that people make when they're starting their 
own business. The first thing I will say, Louisa, first of all, congratulations that you're thinking about starting it. Thinking about it is the beginning. And it, I will also say as a second thing is that the start is what stops most folks. The start is what stops mm. most folks. So the fact that you're thinking about it, are you willing to take that, have the courage to actually do something about it? So the first mistake, I'm going to give you three of them. Not Don't, don't want to overwhelm you with a lot of mistakes that we make when we start businesses. But I want to give you three of them just to think about some things. The first thing is getting a coach or a mentor. So the Chinese have a saying, to know the road ahead, ask those coming back. That's a great Chinese proverb. To know the road ahead, ask those coming back. In other words, if you want to know how to get there, the shortest route to where you want to go is usually with the GPS. And that human GPS is a mentor or a coach, someone who's done what you want to do. They've walked the roads that you want to walk. That will cut a lot of time and frustration and even make it a little less expensive for you to get where you want to go. So think about engaging a coach or a mentor. That's the first mistake that most folks make. They don't they think they know everything. They think just because they have the passion for what they want to do that they also have the know it all, the know and the wherewithal to actually get it done. And most of the time we don't. Okay. The second thing that so get a coach, get a mentor. The second thing is start to develop uh, the relationship with your audience. And like a lot of people say, oh, you need a business plan. No, actually, the first thing you need to do before you do a business plan is to figure out whether you even have a business. So you need to validate your business. And the way you validate your business is by going to the audience that you want to potentially sell to. So to see what they what the needs are, you may be thinking your audience is is looking to solve the problem of not having blue shoes and really what they need are um, white shoes. You see what I mean? So talking to your audience, engaging your audience, understanding what it is they need, what keeps them up at night. Um, And when you say that, that's that's the pain problem. That's a pain point that your your audience has. What is making them what's keeping them up at night? What's making them sick? What's keeping them from not having and living their best life? So understanding that. So number one, get a mentor or coach. Number two, engage with your audience so you actually know that there's a problem to solve. And then number three, it's the same thing I told the previous caller. Do at least do one thing consistently. Do one thing. If that's hopping on a Facebook Live every week to talk to your audience, then do that one thing. If it's going to a networking event every week so that you can meet somebody else in your industry, then do that one thing. All right? Get a coach. Talk to your audience consistently. And then do one thing that moves you in the direction of what you want in terms of starting your business. Does that help? It definitely helps. Thank you so much. That was that was amazing. I appreciate that. Great. Thanks for calling in, Louisa. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Lots of great calls today, Jay. Lots of good stuff on the Fran Harris Show. Again, I'm going to harp this into everybody's mind. You cannot get to your next level if you are not willing to be uncomfortable. And I'm all about making folks uncomfortable. Ask anybody who knows me. I am all about disrupting the status quo, rejecting the status quo, because I believe that you can have an amazing life, an amazing business, and a very healthy bottom line in your bank account if you are willing to push yourself and do the things necessary to, to grow your business. This show literally comes down to, to three things. How much do you want it? You hear that a lot in sports. How much do you want an amazing life? How much do you want to become a better person? And so you'll hear this. You'll get on here. You'll say, oh, I thought we were talking about business and finance, France. Fran, but you can't talk about being better at those things if you are not willing to become a better person. So at the forefront of everything that I do and that I stand for, it is about you being a better man or woman in your life. 
It, that's literally what this show is about. And then from there, if you accept the challenge of becoming a better living, someone living at a higher level as an individual, then we can talk about how to explode your business. I'm willing to share with you every single thing I know about having an amazing business and a bulging bank account. But you've got to be willing to push yourself to go beyond the limits that you know are possible for yourself because you will never grow, expand, or get better. Until next time, go out there, make your move, make your mark, and make your difference. I'm Fran Harris. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Big Time Business with Fran Harris. Results-focused biz nutrition for entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and startups. Be sure to rate the show, subscribe, and stay tuned for the next episode. Get information about advertising and sponsorships at FranHarris.com.